Listening to ideas fairly, regardless of who is presenting them, is essential to make the best decisions yourself. If you judge ideas based on what you think about the person sharing them, you'll say yes to bad ideas and you'll say no to good ones. I'm Jason Gore, and I'm here with executive coach Robert McNaughton. Thanks, Jason. Um, this is a practice that I've found that a lot of humans don't think they're as bad about this as, as we all actually are. And the more that I've seen how, how much I do this, uh, the more I've seen it's, it's, it's pretty much natural. It's, it's how we look at the world, but we can get better in how we work with it. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, our instincts are, are positive, uh, really important pieces of data. Yep. Like when we don't necessarily trust someone, we tend to test them more. And when we do trust them, we tend to test them less. And so it's not about ignoring our instincts, but it's about ignoring some of the biases that might lead us down bad paths. Like in terms of our own stylistic choices and how people present information, um, it seems like it could sometimes lead us astray. Exactly. Uh, you know, I, I've just seen a lot of examples of this and it talks to, you know, we all remember when we made these decisions and we specifically, I think, remember them when we've accepted bad ideas. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the, one of the things that I see a lot is um, I work with a lot of young CEOs, you know, first time CEOs and they, they end up hiring much more senior executives around them you know, oh, this person has been at X, Y, and Z company and they've been around the block. And so I'm just going to trust them. I disagree. My intuition doesn't feel right about this, but you know, because they're presenting this, I'm going to go with it. And you know, the CMO that spends $3 million on a marketing campaign of the $6 million in the bank and gets zero results is like, ouch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in social psychology, they call this uh, correlation bias. And, um, or if we want to get fancy, the fundamental attribution fallacy. But basically, it's the, the common human characteristic we have of when we see something, someone doing something, we think that that's always how they're going to do something. And really, the, the simple word here is prejudice. This is us yeah. prejudging people based on our past experiences with them or people like them. It's a yep. very natural part of the way the mind works, but something, as we all know, we have to be very conscious about or um, we'll suffer, our, our work will suffer, et cetera. Yep. You know, I studied persuasion undergrad at University of Pennsylvania, and we would play a video for, this was in a laboratory with college students, we'd play a video of a car accident, and then we would show the pr people getting out of the cars, and one was wearing a suit, and the other was wearing a tie-dye. Yeah. And then we would switch them, you know, which car they got out of, and show the, that video to someone else, and pretty much regardless of what car they got out of the vast majority of times the guy wearing the tie-dye was at fault that's right <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like and somehow we gave well, the guy's wearing a suit he must be a good driver yeah well i, I want to share an example of this too it gets into um bayesian statistics I'm, I'm throwing a lot of fancy words around but this is important it's like you know if you if you uh um you know see a, someone walking across the campus and they're, they're holding uh, a lot of books and they're wearing glasses and maybe there's like a calculator in their thing. You know, do you, do you think they're a business student or an engineering student? And, you know, most people will say it's like, oh, well, that's an engineering student. You know, they're, they're, they're fitting certain characteristics. But what they're forgetting is that the business school is five times as big as the engineering school. And that just like basic statistics show you that you're making a, 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 a bad decision on that. And this happens all the time.
Yeah, and so that really just goes back to the point of to be assess ideas, assess opinions based on the data, and rather than you know based on the person. I was just recently in a situation where um, a sales leader, he he led sales and customer service, was basically saying, "I need more people." And the CEO says, you know, you always need more people. And he's like, no, I really need more people. But they actually didn't get into the data together. And so they had this um, big marketing and product push. And all of a sudden, their numbers plummeted because they literally didn't have enough people to keep the numbers up. And so they had huge customer complaints, but a lot of lost sales. And it was like the CEO said, well, why didn't you tell me? And the sales and customer service leader says, I did, you know, but they just hit a train wall together. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so clearly, you know, there's, there's lots of examples of this. I'm sure everyone here uh, can think of their own, but what's the cost? What's the cost to the company, to the leader, to the team when this is happening, when this is happening? Well, you know, Robert, I think we've talked a lot about the cost of bad decisions, not using the data. Um, but we, we haven't really talked to is the person cost, the morale cost. And that when you, reject people's ideas, they end up not speaking their truth, right? Because they, they don't feel heard. In fact, the, the example I used before, um, the customer and sales service leader in that particular case, he kind of gave up. He's like, I'm not going to be heard anyway. So, you know, I raised the red flag. It was shot down. Why should I raise it again? Yes. Um, because he's like, I, I don't have the credibility in this organization, apparently. And you know, my push on him was, no, you got to, like, you got to push that rock up the hill because that's your job. But the other issue is people see this and they see the power dynamics and they see this person kind of getting thrown under the bus, you know, so to speak. And they wonder what kind of culture this is. And is this a culture where we're actually making database decisions or is it really like who's cooler and who's smarter and, you know. And social dynamics are a part of any kind of um, social ecosystem that we're in that we need to be aware of. But really what I'm hearing is, here is that like, you know, if, if we keep going to the same people for the same ideas, um, then we're, we're probably going to be getting as many bad ideas as good ones. And if we're always rejecting and we're not uh, looking for ideas from, from other people, from new people, then we're, we're missing a lot of good ideas um, as well. And so basically it's just we're, we're, we're missing things out and falling prey to, to habitual gravity. Yep. And, you know, one of the unexpected costs of this is when there are people that have the CEO's ear, they also become the gatekeepers. Like people start going to those folks and say, hey, what do you think about this idea? Oh, and if it gets rejected by, you know, the COO, for example, I, the CEO never even gets to hear about it. And so when you start to play favorites, you know, in a hierarchical situation, it really creates a lot of cultural problems where you're just not getting all the information anymore. Yeah, it, it sets a bad precedent mm-hmm. and, um, and that can lead the culture in directions that we've all seen before, but they don't have to go that way. Mm-hmm. So in terms of how a leader does this well, what have you seen, Robert? Um, well, it's, it's really self-awareness. It's knowing that um, we fall prey to these you know, prejudices of like um, always thinking that one person's going to have the best ideas of this in the room. And I found a lot of um, relief in you know, better habits, better systems on my teams that allow for everyone to, to have a voice 
Mm -hmm. not in a way that it's like a consensus, but in a way that all of a sudden I get to see that it's like, okay, this person, you know, while I didn't like what they brought to the table uh, a few months ago is really starting to pick up things. I can start to treat my company more like a garden Mm -hmm. in that like, um, you know, everything comes along at its own maturity and uh, the diversity really does bring a lot to the table. Yep. The other um, thing that I see leaders do is when those folks do speak up, the ones that are either the quieter folks or the ones that maybe you don't love when they talk because they're, they're, they, they, you know, they don't speak in a succinct way or it's, you know, they're not as charismatic or it's a little garbled and they're thinking out loud. Like, you know, it can be frustrating, but to have the patience to ask questions, get clarification, you know, even if someone is 90% right and, te- right and 10% wrong, we tend to throw that whole thing out but to ask questions of clarity, like, well, what about this? Why this? Like really kind of dig in and get curious rather than dismiss. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly a believer that everybody has their own unique genius. And certainly if we've hired them onto our team, we've hired them for a reason and we want to allow them to develop even beyond just what got them in the door. And so creating space for people to express their viewpoints and, and looking out for, um, have I, have I, is there anything else there that this person might have? And just seeing how we're really tapping uh, the value in all the members of our team. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, especially for these small startups that don't have the big dollars or the big name to draw in that, the heavy talent, you know, sometimes we are dealing with people that are skilled in some areas, you know, they might be really skilled marketer, but they're not really working at the executive level yet. And so it is having a little patience, having a little slowing down a little, drawing out um, their wisdom for what they have and understanding that, you know, they're going to be really smart in certain areas. That's why we hired them, you know, for that expertise, but they might not have the strategic thinking, right? And so, you know, you might not have a robust player in your team, but that doesn't mean that they can't contribute. And I think also it's, it's, it's like, we have to rely on our other, um, functions in the company here, such as like our metrics, you know, and our data and how we're seeing what decisions are generating what impact and Mm -hmm. we're not blind. So that way I can actually assess ideas objectively. Yes. Just, oh, well, yeah, you know, I assume it's going to work well. I can actually see how it works well. And then as a statistician, we can see how the economy and our own um, Mm -hmm. enterprise is functioning. And that's, you know, I think solid debates. Debates that are truly effective are not just a pe- bunch of people throwing their opinions down and th- throwing their weight around. And right, it's are they backed with data? Right. Let's great. Let's make decisions. Let's test them with milestones and check in. Were we right? Like, can we approach problem solving in a scientific way? Yes. Great. Good. So, so how can uh, how can we apply this into our our work in the rest of our lives? Like right away. What are some next steps and uh, ways to experiment with this? Well, Robert, I think that's kind of, you already said it, it's to really be self-aware of your biases. And how that's going to show up is, you know, in the, in the situation where you're, you're discounted someone, you're kind of dismissing them somewhere in your mind, and you're only partially listening to someone, mm-hmm. right? Or you're listening to prove them wrong, or you're already thinking about how am I going to shut them down? Like all this little self-talk, right? That, you know, it's like step back and look for the gold in what they're sharing. Like, like approach it like a mine, you know, like find that vein of gold that they're in 
and see if you could get follow that vein until you get to the real gold in the hills. Yeah, perfect, perfect. And and, and similarly, it's like being uh, intimate with our canaries in the coal mine. And mm-hmm. like when I'm recognizing how I do that, where I'm looking to see how you're right, just because I want you to be right, that confirmation bias. Uh, similarly, how I'm looking for the way that you're wrong, just because I think that you're going to be wrong. Mm-hmm. We can notice that in ourselves and catch ourselves and, and realize that we're falling prey to our own human cognitive biases. Yep. Now, the other canary in the coal mine is the one that it also expresses as impatience, but it, impatience in the other way. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Robert, you got this. You can handle it. And we just like, you know, don't even allow you to present the data or where you're coming from. We just assume that you've done your homework. That's right. Um, and so that's kind of a different kind of patience of like, let's go through the motions and make sure that all the data is there. I'm sure that there's going to be some value that comes out of that conversation. That's um, what they call the uh, economists call that the hot hands fallacy, right? It's like in sports, it's like, well, okay, well let's pass it to him again because he scored, you know, all the time through this game and through the season. So he's the only one that can score. And um, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons why that doesn't work. So the key takeaway here is to listen to people's ideas for the value of those ideas themselves without positive or negative biases. And that's going to allow you to make better data-based objective decisions. Yeah, this is something that we can work on forever. Thank you, Jason. Thanks, Robert. And to all the leaders out there, we hope this conversation has been helpful.